This is EdTech Weekly, and this is episode 89. I'm your host, Ricky Zager, and in tonight's show, using design thinking for classroom furniture, robots teaching kids kindness, alternative assessments, always important, and are your, are your children's apps safe? Oh, that might be a scary one. Christy, welcome back. It's been a couple weeks. Uh, glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad we can connect and do the show. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I know it's, like I said, it's been a couple weeks, but I am starting to get a little bit, um, maybe I don't know if sentimental is the right word, for uh, this being episode 89 and only having a few more shows. I'm not a mathematician, but it's somewhere between five and 15 more shows till we get to 100. And uh, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. What is going to be on tap for the 100th episode? I don't know. I mean, certainly something special has to. We got stickers uh, for like the 50th or whatever. I don't even remember now which one it was, and we gave those out. So I don't know. Maybe we'll really step up the game and do coffee mugs. Ooh, coffee mugs. Oh, how about a best of or an outtakes reel? Yeah, that we've done that before uh, for our first year anniversary, and it, it just takes a lot of work. <laughs> so... I don't want to say I'm lazy, but it does take a lot of work. So maybe maybe I can start doing that now so I don't get behind the eight ball too much. But Christy, I think it's important, as we normally do here, that we get started with the EdTech News Rundown. All right, an EdSurge article talks about using a design thinking approach when deciding what classrooms should in fact look like. Now, the article asserts that most classroom furniture decisions are made by browsing through a catalog and deciding based on how good or cool something seems to be. Rebecca Hare, an art and design teacher and an education consultant, has a better solution. Now, she believes that teachers can start simply with the overall goals they have for their classrooms, the types of projects they want to do, in the mindset that they want to instill in their students. Well, from there, well, that's where you start deciding what the space should look like. One of the biggest concepts she suggests is for the classroom to be agile. And this way students can be a part of the process as the year goes on and the space can be improved. So too many classrooms furniture decisions are being made by admins that rarely, if at all, set foot in classrooms that they're buying furniture for. And I think we can all agree that that's not the best way to do this. So this is definitely an article to check out if you're making upgrades to your classroom furniture. And I, Christy, I feel like it's a very human thing. Um, this looks awesome, I want that, you know, without thinking about if it's needed or what it's gonna do. I'm that way a lot of times with technology. Uh, do you find this a problem? And I know from our earlier discussion that this may be something that you're uh, facing even as we speak. It is, I, I told you this is a very timely article. I'm wrapping up a year-long, sorry, do you hear an echo? I think oh, we're okay. okay. It's a little bit, but it's all right. Okay. So wrapping up a year-long furniture program, and we're about to submit our order, and it has been so much work, but incredible process that we've been through. And so when I saw you pick the article on furniture, I was like, ah, oh, the stars are aligning, and it's perfect. Um, and yeah, definitely not just going with what's cool and flashy, although that is all of our first instincts, because uh, there's a lot of cool and flashy stuff out there. Um, but if anybody is thinking about a furniture redesign for their school or um, has some ideas, I'd love to talk to them because, like I said, we were wrapping up a year-long process, and that could probably actually be a featured segment just on classroom furniture. 
Well, let's do that. Let's put it out to the EdTech Weekly community and uh, email the show, edtechweekly at gmail.com, or reach out to us on Twitter at Christy M. Warren specifically for that, and uh, maybe you could be a part of a featured session. Yeah, that'd be great to hear what other people are doing and the process and what worked and what didn't, so other people can learn from that and not make any same mistakes that other people have done before. All right, our next article is from Ed Surge, and this one is titled, When Robots Teach Kids Computational Thinking and Kindness. That title is a little deceiving as this article is more about how kids how kids working together to accomplish programming and robotics projects can help them lead them to better soft skills. Whether we want to accept it or not, robotics and programming is going to be a huge part of the future. With that future comes a lot of speculation about robots replacing teachers or other humans, and it is easy to see as a bad thing for human connections. But if we look at computer science like a tool that can be used to solve many problems and make sure we incorporate group projects involving computer science, we can make sure human connections remain strong. So at the end of the day, if we allow computer science projects to be strongly rooted in collaboration, we can hopefully continue to build connections and humanity, even in a robot-infused world. Ricky, I feel like this is a more positive outlook on the robots are going to make teachers obsolete stories we often see. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it certainly is a different take on that process. And I think it's probably a a good process to think about or a good take to think about on it. Um, I, You know, you always have this vision, and it's probably portrayed in movies more than anything else, or TV shows of these coders who are programming and they have headphones on, they're listening to music, and they're just coding, and it's not an interactive or social thing at all. And I, and I think there's always going to be the process of coding is going to sort of be that way. Maybe that will change, but in general, I think that's true. But I think what this story kind of highlights, and I think it's important for us to remember, is that just because the process of coding and putting the the you know the commands and whatnot into the into the programs, it, that doesn't have to be a solo project while you're setting up for it. So working together with someone to come up with a program, designing it, making sure that it does what we want it to do, you know, or looking at it from a human perspective as we develop those things could probably help out and, and, and kind of infuse that sharing, that community, that teamwork that, you know, is necessary in general to solve problems while it may not be necessary if you're just sitting there and typing code into a computer. Sure. I think it's all in how you use it, right? So whether you're working together and collaboratively on it or just plugged in and working solo, you know, it, it's really just in how you set it up. Yeah, I agree. And so now let's move on to our next story, and it's another Ed Surge story. Uh, the the dad puns are coming out in here. I feel like we're having a surge of Ed Surge stories, <laughs> if I can say that. That's the appropriate laugh for a dad joke. Good job. Um, <laughs> seriously, though, we do have all Ed Surge stories this week, but this one is about alternative assessments or assignments and how they can effectively assess student learning. This article came as a result of a Twitter chat called DLN Chat. And this chat was intended to be a conversation about assessments and if standardized testing and assignments can be replaced. If so, how would that happen? One of the biggest challenges to using alternative assessments is grading. We know that. It's one of the reasons why people don't do it as much as they should. Standardized tests and other basic assignments are super easy to grade. And uh, that grade means the same thing to anyone who takes it. You know, again, now we can get into whether or not it really means the same thing based on past experiences and whatnot, but in general, that can be said. Rubrics are definitely a way to combat that 
even a great rubric has a lot of subjectivity when it comes to create or demonstrate types of assignments. In my opinion, this is where EdTech can save the day, creating the opportunity for shareable rubrics that universally mean something to higher ed or companies looking at transcripts. Christy, wouldn't it be great if someday standardized tests, what we call standardized tests, really meant, didn't mean multiple choice scantrons, but it what we call alternative assignments now, which are more creating and demonstrating type things for students. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be awesome. And I would love for us to get there. There are many barriers, um, but like you said, rubrics could be a way to get there. Um, I see so many of them out there though, but like this article said, and you shared, you know, how do we standardize that um, so that it is more consistent across the board? You know, we've got our state testing rubrics now out here in California. Um, I don't know what you're doing in, as much in Florida, but out here, um, you know, there are performance tasks in our uh, state standardized testing now. So we have those rubrics, um, but you know, then we've got our publisher adopted rubrics and then we've got teacher created rubrics. And so it's, you know, let's choose a rubric that we can all agree on. Yeah, it's kind of a mess when it comes to those things. And I think that's why I think the the error here is calling things standardized tests. I mean, I think we have to I realize that states and local governments and federal government want to be able to measure something and say, how do we know what, that they're learning? Well, um, standardized tests, I don't know that it's proving anything. So maybe we maybe the term standardized test could be the problem here. I mean, I'm all for alternative assessments. I think just in general, we need to use them more and probably for lower stakes things, the standardized test, they don't need to mean so much. Like it's okay if the state and the federal government and other people want to judge um, schools by standardized tests, but let's not make them the end of course, end all be all. You can't graduate unless you have this. Let's use that as a rubric in its own right to judge how are these alternative assessments working. And I, I personally believe that if we focused on alternative assessments where students are creating or demonstrating doing all that stuff, standardized tests would be would be something that students would find easy and it wouldn't even be a thing anymore. So it's just trying to shift that that becomes difficult. And I understand that but from being inside of a big district, it's not easy to get people to buy into that mentality. Well, and we look at multiple measures, right? So standardized testing, you know, I don't see it going away. Um, but although it is improving, I think, uh, like out here, we have computer adaptive tests, so it either gets harder or easier depending on how you do on your questions, um, but multiple measures. So looking at your you know, project-based learning along with your standardized test, as long you know, with your curriculum-based assessment, you really get a complete picture. I agree. Yep. I think it's, it's, a, it's like everything else, everything in measure. And, and if we're, I think we've gone to the other side where we're just doing too many multiple choice and too much standardized assessment, and we need to balance everything out. Sure thing. All right. Next up, an article from, yes, that's right, another Ed Surge story. Surging, surging ahead with Ed Surge stories. Sorry. Oh, dad joke. Why some children's apps might not be as safe as you think. A recent study looked at whether apps certified compliant with child privacy law did a better job safeguarding privacy than non-certified apps. Spoiler alert, they did not. One of the large problems is that the organizations who try to make sure these apps are safe simply do not have the technological capabilities to get in the code and really see what's happening. They rely on terms of service and self-reported data and questionnaires to rate and certify these apps. One of the problems is many apps use some degree of third-party code and may not know exactly what that code is doing with the data. 
With Facebook's data mismanagement issues in the news recently, it is important that parents take the time to research apps and what information they're asking of your children. Data breaches are real and protection of children is extremely important. Take the time to check what your kids' apps are accessing on mobile devices. Location would be a primary concern, but try to know as much as possible. I don't think we can take the I didn't know argument anymore. I'll put some links up on how to research this stuff and see what the apps are access what the apps are accessing on the website, Facebook and Twitter this week. So, Ricky, as a fellow parent, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, and for those of you who are listening to this show, Christy stumbled because I completely wrote that like it was my story. And so I put like, I'm going to post these links. Okay. And Christy, what do you do? Yeah, so that's totally my fault. But yeah, um, yeah, this is a tough one. And you know, I, even though I should have realized that this is sort of what happens, um, I didn't realize to the extent that these companies are using just third-party codes, you know, plug-in type stuff to deal with certain data or certain other things. So, uh, you know, I mean, it makes sense because obviously you can't get, everyone can't afford to get people to code all these things. So you're kind of using some open source things, but boy, it, it, it makes you pause for sure. When you think about, especially with, you know, for, I don't even think younger kids are as much as frightened of me as like our, you know, preteens and early teens who are, more likely to share information and just go click through stuff and answer stuff and, and do all that without even thinking about it. Little kids, you know, I mean, there's not quite as much that they're getting from them data wise. I'm sure they're getting plenty, but that kind of is what concerns me is we don't really know what they're doing. And oftentimes people don't read those types of things. And even if they if they do, it seems like maybe even they're not doing what they say they're going to do and they don't even know it. So I, I mean, I don't know. It is frightening for sure, and we've got to do better than this. Again, Facebook and, and some of these other big companies are have been showing in the news that they've got issues, so I don't know. I don't know what to say, Christy. I, I don't want to take away the iPad from my son. He's been listening to a lot of kids' podcasts, and I think it's awesome, but it's a little frightening for sure. Well, I think we got to monitor it. You know, That's our responsibility as parents, those locations. Um, I think for our kids are so important. You know, Turn off your location services so they can't be tracked. But also, we have to know that anything we do online is out there for the public to see. And so, you know, I think we talked about this in our last episode with the whole Facebook breach. You know, we don't really have this assumption or shouldn't have this assumption of privacy when you're doing stuff publicly online. So I think maybe thinking about it, both of those, yes, safeguarding, but also knowing that what we do is out there. Yeah, I mean, I think that those skills of teaching our children, and I think they're starting to see that. I know we just had a, a recent incident with the NFL draft where somebody posted something on Twitter um, when they were in high school, and you know, seven years later now or whatever it is, they were getting some backlash for it. And I think, you know, I, I don't know. Like I know when I was a teacher in high school, my students basically just used Twitter to text each other, and it was like you realize that anyone can see that. And they're like, no, I don't think so. I'm like, yeah, look, you can call it up. So I think the understanding of that is changing slowly, but you're right. I think at the end of the day, it's more just assume that anything you do is going to be public. And so you need to make sure that you're being diligent with protecting your own data and protecting your own things. Yep. I think that's the, the point that we're at right now. For sure. Sadly, that's, that it seems to be where we are. All right, Christy. Well, we are done with the show for today. Remember, uh, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, EdTech Weekly Show. 
Um, edtechweekly.reddit.com if you are into Reddit. Uh, if not, check it out. There's some good subreddits, especially for teachers. Uh, there's a subreddit for teachers that I've been following, and especially at the end of the year, it's always fun because teachers are sort of at the end of their ropes, and we get that. We've been there. Uh, Christy, a little more so than me at this point in my career as I'm in higher ed, and I don't necessarily deal with the end-of-the-year stuff as much. Um, and uh, Christy, at Christy M. Warren on Twitter and at 4TechTeachers. Give us a follow. And, of course, if you want to be involved um, in the discussion, edtechweekly at gmail.com, and especially uh, come on the show and, and join. Maybe we can have a little roundtable or panel discussion about uh, furniture for the classroom and how you decide that and things that we can do um, if Christy wants to do that. Does that sound like a good idea, Christy? Oh, that would be awesome. Let's do it. All right. That sounds good. Well, we are happy that you were here listening to us. Sorry that we were off a couple of weeks and we will do our best to continue the streak and get back on the streak of, of consecutive weekly shows. Um, but, you know, we're all busy. So uh, give us a break. I think you will. <laughs> all right, Christy. We'll see you next time on Ed Tech Weekly. Mm-hmm.